We'll be in the book of Second Chronicles, and uh, I've been looking forward to this. Stuff. Well, I like each week; they're all they're all good. So <laughs> anywhere you turn, it's all good in there. But tonight uh, we'll be in Second Chronicles. Um, Sunday morning, I forgot to record the message. I don't know. There's so much going on. I guess my mind just went different places. So, but anyway, I forgot to record the message. But anyway, um, I've got this going tonight, so we'll at least have this posted. But Second Chronicles um, is a book of um, where the kingdom uh, of Israel, where things change uh, drastically by the end of the book. Last week in First Chronicles, we, we looked at and talked about the uh, division of the kingdom. And so let me just get started on our PowerPoint here and, um, as we get, get ready to cruise through Second Chronicles. So we look at each week there's either a word or a, or a phrase or something then which is a theme for a book. And this one obviously I think is very evident when we study this book that the theme is uh, captivity because even though they start, uh, it starts out with the kingdom divided as we've been looking at, um, as, as it starts out that way, it continues on with the divided kingdom until Israel goes into captivity the ten northern tribes, and then now the two southern tribes by the end of Second Chronicles. And actually it happens over a period of time. Um, the captivity begins and then there, there's time, even with a couple more kings, where there's still some of them taken from Judah to Babylon. And we'll, we'll see a little bit of that as we go through it, uh, the book tonight of Second Chronicles. So the kingdom's divided, and Israel and Judah both go into captivity. Um, as we said when we studied this, uh, studied Second Chronicle, or excuse me, Second Kings, we said that First um, Kings gives the um, um, reign of King David, and um, as does First uh, Chronicles, and the Second Kings gives the divided kingdom uh, of of Israel and Judah, as does Second Chronicles. And so, uh, as we look at this uh, tonight, just a reminder. There are 10 northern tribes in Israel, and all those kings were all bad kings. The two southern tribes, which are Judah and Benjamin, seven or eight of those kings were good kings. We'll look at those tonight. So what we did last week is we did an overview real quick of each of the kings of, of, uh, of Judah, of Israel and then Judah. Um, and then tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at those seven or eight and kind of focus in on them a little bit more and see the things that they did that were good. So with our time uh, travel uh, journal timeline, creation again is roughly 4,000 B.C., about 3975. And then First Chronicles that we looked at last week, the time goes from um, 960 B.C. to 834 B.C. Found my mistake already. 960 should be B.C. and not C. there, um, to 586 B.C. And the reason being, as we'll look at a little bit later, is because First Chronicles, um, whenever it records um, its part, it, it's where the kingdom has uh, divided and it just lists the first few kings. But 586, the reason that's there is because, as I mentioned, uh, Judah goes into captivity really kind of in, in stages. We'll see that in a little bit. That's where we'll put the asterisk. So a really quick two-part breakdown of the, of the book of Second Chronicles. Sometimes there are three. Uh, last week it was. Sometimes there's as many as five or six that kind of, we break in kind of major parts. But basically there are two major parts to Second Chronicles. First is the, the record, uh, it records the reign of um, King Solomon. Um, and actually that should be... Um, um, 
through verse, well, actually, roughly right chapter 10. And then David quickly, and then the kingdom is divided in 10 to 36. So what we'll do is tonight, rather than go back and, and look at everything as we did in the past um, or the last uh, week with, with um, all of the kings did a breakdown, we're going to look at the good kings. So uh, I have them listed out here. And if you're interested at all in making notes on this to write down the chapters, I'll, I'll have them there. But if not, uh, that's fine too. Asa was the first good king, and he's found in chapters 14 to 16. Jehoshaphat is the second good king. He's found in chapters 17 to 20. Then a king named Joash is found in uh, chapters 23 and 24. And in just a minute, when we look at each of them, we'll look at the, the, the number of years in which they reigned. Amaziah, and there's an asterisk for a reason by his name, uh, is found in chapter 25. Very brief reign. Uh, and then Uzziah, who's also named Azariah. And again, sometimes these kings have more than one name, and that can be kind of confusing. But when you, when you just compare Scripture with Scripture, um, you'll see where uh, it's the same, the same king. He's called by both names, and in, in, uh, I believe it's in 2 Kings, he's, they use that name, Azariah. But he's found in chapter 26. And then Jotham is the next one that's found that's a good king. He's in 27. Then Hezekiah is uh, in three chapters. He had a pretty long reign, uh, chapters 29 to 32. Then Manasseh, who, was, who reigned longer than any of the kings of Israel or Judah, which he was in Judah, uh, is found in chapter 33. And then Josiah, the best, probably the best king, second to David, is in chapters 34 and 35. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll look real quickly at uh, some of the things that these kings did that were really uh, good things for Israel. And remember, as we've talked about, and we'll come back to this after we look at these kings, remember some of them had a real uphill climb um, because the whole, uh, the whole problem that they were dealing with is the fact that the nation of Israel and Judah, of course, is what we're mostly focusing on here, um, they had both those, both the, the kingdoms had at, at various times fallen into idolatry from the heathen nations around them. They began to worship their idols, which is the whole reason that they went into captivity. And so they had an uphill climb, plus the fact that because there are only seven or eight good kings, in most every case, with a couple of exceptions, the king before them was usually a wicked king. Uh, whether he reigned a very short time or a long time, uh, was usually a very wicked king. So they had an uphill battle. And some of these uh, kings would go in and they would, um, they would uh, make some changes quick and, and would uh, do, a, do some really good things uh, in, in serving the Lord and being, uh, you know, reigning over Judah. Uh, just those two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, over the southern kingdom. So let's look at Asa. So what we'll do is uh, we'll not look at the whole section of each of these kings, but we will look at a little bit about their life. He reigned for 41 years, which is one of the longer reigns of any of the kings. Let's pick up at chapter 14, if you have your Bible, and read down with me through verse number 5. And let's look at King Asa. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For, and it tells some of the things he did. Uh, remember, idolatry was one of the, the basic problems that they had throughout uh, that, this time. He took away the altars of the strange gods... And the high places, the places where they would offer sacrifices, uh, who worshipped strange gods would offer sacrifices. Break down the images and cut down the groves. So around where the altars were, um, even the groves, everything were cut down. They were, it was all cut down uh, and destroyed. Verse um, 4, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers 
and to do the law of uh, law and the commandment. And he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. So he reigned 41 years. When you read on through uh, the, uh, the rest of the remaining chapter 14, 15, and on into chapter 16, when uh, it is death, um, it, it you know, talks about his 41 years. But it sums up in these verses the things that he did which, was, which were all right. Uh, he did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And, of course, destroying those uh, altars, destroying the strange gods, getting rid of those. But verse 4, uh, he did not just the negative, which you have to do a lot of times, but the positive. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord uh, and to do the law of the commandment. Remember, they were God's covenant people. And because they were God's covenant people, they were to keep the law passed down from Moses from, you know, from generation to generation. They were to keep the law. And so he had to remind them of that because... For many years uh, in idolatry, uh, worshiping these false idols, imagine they had children and probably grandchildren in a lot of cases, like where he reigned for 41 years, those who had long reigns, um, children and grandchildren that grew up that didn't know the Lord. All they knew was the idol worship that was going on. Now, there probably were those that were a remnant of believers that trusted the Lord and tried their best to live for him and serve him, even in the midst of that. But nevertheless, um, you know, they had generations that grew up, didn't know the Lord at all. So it was an uphill battle, and he reminded them, we're, we're uh, in a covenant with the God who created us. This is his kingdom, and we are to live for him. And so Asa did, did some really good things as king, and because of that, it said at the end of verse number 5, the kingdom was quiet before him. God blessed and gave him a peaceable kingdom because he sought the Lord and got the people to do the same thing. Then there was King Jehoshaphat, who reigned for 25 years, and in chapter 20, if you'll go over there with me real quick, we won't read the whole chapter. Chapter 20 is uh, one of the chapters of um, during, during the reign of King Jehoshaphat. Uh, it begins uh, a few chapters earlier than that in chapter, actually chapter 17. Uh, I had on the board on the uh, slide a while ago. He starts in chapter 17 and actually his reign goes through chapter 22. But in the heart of that, in chapter 20, he um, look at chapter 20 verse... Uh, pick up at verse 1, and let's read down a few verses here. It came, to pass, uh, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab, the children of Ammon, remember those are two, um, two uh, nations outside of Israel that were some of their enemy, uh, enemies that lived outside and brought in idols. And with them, the other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. There came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazan, um, Hazazantamar, well, that's, that's one, isn't it? which is in Jedi. And Joseph, or Jehoshaphat excuse me, feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Wow, God brought a revival under a king whenever they were about to go into battle. Remember, it's uphill. I mean, idolatry. And so here is King Jehoshaphat, who was also a good king, that was bringing them out of all that idolatry and, and, and idol worship. And now they're going to go into battle against the enemy. And so the king proclaimed a fast. He himself was, was seeking the Lord about it, and everybody else around the cities of Judah came to do the same thing. When you read through this chapter, you see by the end of this chapter how God gets great victory because the people, they didn't know what to do. Um, look at verse, let's see, 
Look down at verse number 12. This is, um, this is where uh, actually Jehoshaphat is standing before the whole congregation. People are gathered apparently right there at the, uh, or it says the new court in verse 5. Um, as they, as they gather together in an area of worship. And look what he says in verse 12, how he ends his prayer. When he's, he's praising God, he's, he's, uh, he's telling God, uh, we belong to you, we're your people, verse 12. And uh, he says in verse 12, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, the Moabites and the Ammonites. Look what he says. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Sometimes in life we have things we go through that we really just don't know what to do. And all we can do is look at the Lord, look to the Lord, and that's exactly what he did. And he was honest from his heart. He was praying not only for himself, but for all of Judah. Lord, we don't know what to do. So sometimes uh, what to do when you don't know what to do is first and foremost to seek the Lord and just, have, and, and just um, remind him of it and bring it to him in prayer and to verbally mention it before him and just say, Lord, we don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I'm trusting you. I know you know what's best. As you read on through this chapter, you find out that what happens is they end up sitting up musicians and a big choir and they praise the Lord and God gives them great victory. Isn't that a great thing? So uh, they praised the Lord not after the battle. They praised Him before the battle, and they won the battle. That's a great principle to remember in anything we face in life, any battle that we go through. Chapter 20 is a great, great chapter uh, and, and shows great leadership from Jehoshaphat, who loved the Lord very much and served Him. Then you get to uh, King Joash, who reigned for 40 years, and he reigned during a co-reign. Uh, it, mentions of, um, it mentions here about um, a queen. Look at chapter 24. I believe this is where it mentions. Um, verse, verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. He reigned 40 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And Jehoiada took for him two wives, and he begat sons and daughters. That's the priest now. Verse 4. came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord and gathered together the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah. And gather of all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year, and see that you hasten to the matter. Howbeit the Levites hasten it not. So Levites, so Levites, Levites hasten it not. So he um, he wanted the, to see the temple repaired. It had been in ill repair again after years of, of idolatry. The temple just falls into ill repair. The Levites and the priests had gotten lazy. And so um, things were not being kept up. God's, God's uh, you know, the place of worship, the temple, was not being taken care of. And so he, he had the temple repaired. And you read on down through there, you see how he rewarded very well those who worked on the temple. And so he made it a priority uh, that God's, uh, the place where God met with them would be back where it should be. It would be back a place where they could go and worship and it would honor the Lord. And so God blessed him greatly because of that. He reigned for 40 years. Uh, it says there in, in, um, in chapter 20, uh, tell, or excuse me, 24, tells us about his reign. So he was another very good king, and God blessed him as, in his uh, leadership in the, the nation of Israel. So um, he was used greatly. All right, let's move over to, um, Let's see, further chapter 20. Let's see where we're going to next. 25, right next door. There's King Amaziah, 
who reigns 29 years. And he, um, he's one that started out very well, but didn't end very well. Uh, but nevertheless, he was a good king. In chapter 25, look at verse 1 uh, down through, uh, let's see, down through verse, well, just verse 1 and 2 right now. Uh, Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign. So he was rather young when he began to reign and uh, reigned until he was about 54. Reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was uh, Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Um, now, no one's perfect. We know that. But what he's saying is, is his heart uh, was not completely to honor the Lord and to do completely what was right. And you'll see it as you go and read on through um, this chapter. And he, he started out very well, but he did not, he did not end well. He was, uh, I think he was a, a man that loved the Lord, was a good man, but he went into battle and um, he, God used him uh, in battle, but by the end of his life, he, um, he had uh, gotten away from the Lord and went through defeat. Go with me to verse, um, uh, let's see, verse, pick up at verse 23. It came to pass at the end of the year, the host of Syria came up against him, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all the spoil of them to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, and the Lord delivered a very great host in their hand. Because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers, so they executed judgment against Joash. So he ended not so well um, in his um, leadership as king. Started out good, did not end well, but nevertheless he's considered one of the uh, best kings. Whoops, I'm sorry, I backed up. I read the wrong passage. I know that's why you're looking at me funny. Uh, look at chapter 25. I, don't, I can't believe I read that. Uh, pick up with me verse number... Uh, Verse number 23, and Joash the king of Israel, this, now that's the northern uh, kingdom, took Amaziah king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem. Now that sounds better. I was reading the whole wrong passage, wasn't I? And break down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits, and took all the gold and silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, and the treasures of the king's house, and hostages also, and returned to Samaria. And Amaziah the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived after the death of Joash, um, the son of Jehoahaz, 15 years. And the rest of the acts of Amaziah, first and last, behold, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. After the time that Amaziah did turn away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. They sent to Lachish after him and slew him there. So he quit serving the Lord. He got away from the Lord, and that was his ending. And then, unfortunately, they, there was a conspiracy against him. They ended up killing him, taking his life. But he did build and strengthen the army uh, for Israel when they were to go into battle. So he started well, ended not so well. King Uzziah, also called Azariah, he had a long reign, probably the second, I think he's the second longest reign. And we look at him in chapter 26. Um, he's, only, he's only recorded a little bit to be such a long reign. He's only found in uh, this one chapter here in 2 Chronicles. He's also found in 2 Kings in chapter 15. But to, to have reigned so long, there was, there's a lot less said about him. Nevertheless, he was a good king. And so he had a battle. He went into battle with the Philistines. And look at, um, 
as you read on through here, the battle that, that he um, went through, God helped him. It says in verse 7, against the Philistines. Um, verse 8, the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah, and his name spread abroad, even to the entering end of Egypt, and he strengthened himself exceedingly. And you read on down through there, apparently he liked, um, he liked to do a lot of stuff outside. He liked gardening and that kind of thing. Uh, built towers in the desert and mentions a lot of the things he did, a lot of good things that he did. But look at verse 16. This is a sad thing. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. So like, like a, lot of temptation, a lot of temptation in leadership, he got a little self-sufficient. And because of that, he got prideful about it. And it said his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Verse 16, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went to the temple of the Lord to build incense upon the altar of incense. Now, a king has a lot of uh, responsibilities. A king has a lot of privileges. But a king is not to go into the temple to, build, to burn incense. That's for what? That's for the priests. So he kind of got a little, little, um, little too um, happy about himself and, and everything went to his head. And although it might have been for the right motive, he's not the one who's supposed to do that. That was for the priests. That was their job. And so uh, the Bible describes the, um, the pride that he had. And so um, he, he uh, actually did, you know, did not end up that well compared to some of the others. His pride conquered him. But he was a good king. And for the length of his reign, he did a lot of good things in his 52 years. And God used him greatly. So King Uzziah was another of the good kings. Then you get chapter 27 next door. Next chapter, and a very short chapter, only nine verses in this chapter, and it mentions the king named Jotham, or Jotham, however you want to do the O, however, if you want to do a long or short O there. He reigned for 16 years, and um, he built a high gate for God's house. Now, that would be a place of protection around uh, the temple. And then, um, let's, let's start at verse 1. This is a short chapter, so let's read starting at verse 1. Jotham was 25 years old when he began to reign. And we saw another one that same age a few moments ago. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was also Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. According to all that his father Uzziah did, howbeit he entered not into the temple of the Lord, and the people did yet corruptly. Um, now, the idea here was not, not like his um, uh, father, not like Uzziah. He didn't go in. It points out very clearly that he did not go in as his father did and made that mistake. And so, but he did the other things right that his father did. Boy, influence um, you know, has a lot to do in bearing with, with children and grandchildren. Now, um, you know, just because there's a godly father, again, does not necessarily mean that children will make always the right selection. We've talked about that in some of our studies before on, on the kings. But nevertheless, he had a good example and he followed it, uh, which he should have done and, and did do. Verse 3, and he built the high gate of the house of the Lord, and on the wall of Ophel he built much. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah, and in forests he built castles and towers. So he had places um, uh, for, for uh, residence. Verse 5, he fought also with the king of the Ammonites. That's one of their enemies and prevailed against them. And the children of Ammon gave him the same year a hundred talents of silver, 10,000 measures of wheat, 10,000 of barley. So much did the children of Ammon pay unto him both the second year and the third. Now here's the secret to his leadership. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. That's a great statement about him. He was mighty as a, as a man of, of faith, a man that served God because he prepared his ways before the Lord. He, he uh, walked with the Lord. He didn't try to get ahead of him. 
he brought everything before the Lord apparently, uh, like a good example we saw before and King uh, previously that he um, brought um, brought everything before the Lord, kept things before the Lord. Lord, um, obviously pray, prayed. He was obviously a man of prayer, I believe. And so even though it's very short, uh, just a few verses in this chapter, and not a really long reign compared to some of them. 16 years is pretty good, but it shows us the formula for his might and for his strength. And so very good king, and uh, God blessed him and blessed uh, Judah because of that. Then I get over to uh, King Hezekiah. He's in chapters 29. Actually, he begins reigning at the very end of chapter 28, but um, you read down through verse uh, chapter 32, actually, and that covers his reign of 29 years King Hezekiah was a godly king. He did a lot of great things, one of which is he brought the Passover back. Uh, but before that, he had a temple cleansing. Uh, again, um, especially the, the king before him, of course, was a wicked king. Uh, after, the, after Jotham, there was Ahaz, and he was a wicked king. And he, uh, under his leadership, idolatry, I began to seep back into the, to the, uh, to the nation. But the, uh, he... King Hezekiah repaired uh, the temple he or cleaned it, cleaned it out, basically, and probably had to do some repair also, but he cleaned it out uh, to make sure that the uh, priests and the Levites were doing their job the way they should. And then and when you get to chapter 30, it uh, mentions where he brought back the Passover uh, that they had not observed in quite some time, and uh, bringing it back was very, very important to Judah. And uh, you read through there, and you get to uh, chapter 30, and verse number 15, then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites uh, were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings in the house of the Lord. They were ashamed because they hadn't been doing it. It took a king in leadership to get the priests and the Levites back to what they should have been doing in the first place. And they'd gotten lazy. They had gotten uh, to the point where they just uh, let everything go. And so it took a godly king like Hezekiah to step in in his leadership to lead the people. Then you get to chapter 33. This was a wicked king. But I like studying this king because even though he is actually the most wicked king in Judah, and that's saying a lot because <laughs> there were some rotten ones, um, he might have been uh, probably second or third to all the kings because you look at some of them in Israel, they had some really rotten ones. But Manasseh, uh, he's in chapter 33, he reigned for 55 years, reigned longer than any of the other kings at all, and he was the most wicked king of Judah. He did a lot of horrible things, and for time's sake, and uh, we, we just won't read all through the first, um, uh, the first several verses of chapter 33, but he had um, he brought, he'd allowed again the high places, the places of worship, places of idolatry, and so uh, he was a very wicked king, and it didn't take many verses to sum up 55 years of his wickedness. I mean, apparently, it was just once he got in there and allowed that, it was just wickedness that kept on year after year, decade after decade. But then when you get down to verse 10, uh, things lighten up a little bit, or a little bit brighter here. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken, including the king. Wherefore, verse 11, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. Now, remember, we said that it kind of goes in stages, the captivity. Um, at this point, Manasseh um, is 
Uh, he's the most wicked king, and the kingdom is, is winding down. Well, during at the very end of his reign here, Manasseh and some others, probably all of his court that served under him, but many of the others go into captivity at this time into Babylon, even though the nation hasn't completely gone, or the kingdom hasn't completely gone into captivity. Verse 12, and when he was in affliction, here we go, he besought the Lord his God. Sometimes people won't seek God and they won't look to him until their back's just against a corner in a wall, in a wall and they're, they're in a corner, they can't go anywhere else, and they know that the only way they can look is up. And um, this king, as wicked as he was, and much, as much wickedness as he allowed, um, God got his attention. Um, Whether the Lord brought them, or excuse me, um, uh, verse 12, affliction, he brought, besought the Lord his God, humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was, he was God. It took this in his life for him to realize, boy, I've really blown it. For 50 plus years, I have disobeyed God. I have led my people to disobey God. And think of all the fallout because of it. But folks, it's never too late as long as there's breath in your body. And he knew that the Lord was God. Verse 14. Now after this, he built a wall without the city of David. On that means to Without means on the outside of. On the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entering of the fish gate, encompassed about Ophel, and raised it up a very great height, and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah. So one of the things he did when he got things back, uh, got right with God, and came back from Babylon, he began to, to build around the, the city and for them to have defense from the enemy. Verse 15. Here's the thing that uh, he did that definitely was good. Took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord. It was an idol in God's house, in the temple, and he had that removed. All the altars that he had built in the mount of all the, uh, of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, he cast them out of the city. Boy, he did a house cleaning. When he got right with God, he wanted the people to know, I'm right with God, and we're going to be what God wants us to be. Verse 16, he repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed their own peace offerings and thank offerings, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places, yet unto the Lord their God only. So, even though they were, were, were sacrificing to God, they were doing it the wrong way. <laughs> they were still in the high places, and that wasn't what God wanted from them, but they were getting their, their hearts right with God for the most part, and he was bringing a revival, uh, you can call it, to the nation again. Verse 18, Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, and his prayer unto his God, and the words of the seers, that's another word for prophets, that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. His prayer also, and how God was entreated of him, and all his sin, and his trespass, and the places where he built high places, and set up groves and graven images, before he was humbled, behold, they are written among the sayings of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house, and Ammon his son reigned in his stead. Ammon, of course, was a, uh, a wicked king. And he learned from the first part of his dad's life, unfortunately, and didn't learn from the second. But uh, Manasseh ends up being, though he's the most wicked king, God uses him before he dies. Folks, Manasseh is an example you can't give up on anyone. As long as there's breath in their body, you keep praying for them. God can save anybody. He can save anybody. And God used him greatly after he got things right with God, used him in a great way. And I'm sure it was an uphill battle for the rest of his life. I'm sure it was a tough thing to do.
Because all those years, all those decades, and, and God, uh, God took and, and used him in a great way. All right, let's move on to um, King Josiah. He was the best king of Israel, and he reigned for 31 years. Look at chapter 33. I don't think that's right. That's not right. That should be 30, uh, 35, I think. I think we're supposed to be at 35. But let's try 34. Look at 34, verse 1. Yeah, let's start at 34. I think that is supposed to be 34 because he goes 34 and chapter 35 doing a lot of great things. There's no way we can highlight them all. I mean, this, is, this guy was, God used him in an amazing way. Uh, verse 1 of 34, chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. That's rather young to take on a kingdom, isn't it? But he did. And he reigned one in 30 years. That's 31 years, which means he reigned until he was 39. Verse 2. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor the left. He kept, he kept things straight. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father, an eight-year-old. He, he looked and, and, and sought the Lord and looked to the Lord for clear direction at eight years old. But here he was a king, and God was using him because of his heart for the Lord. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Uh, just a little background. If you go back in 2 Kings 22 and 23, it goes into a lot more detail of the things that he did. Verse 4. Break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high above them. He cut down and the groves and the carved images and the molten images he break in pieces and made the, du and made the dust of them and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed them. <laughs> this guy was a reactionary. I like this guy. Verse 5, and he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. This guy was serious, man. He wanted people to realize we're going to serve God. Uh, so he's radical, and he's radical because there was so many years of idolatry. They, they, were, they were so spiritually, at best, lazy. Most of them were just, you know, ungodly because of the idolatry. So, you know, sometimes it takes drastic measures. Verse 7, and when he had broken down the altars in the groves and beaten the graven images in powder <laughs> and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. Now, that's Israel. That's not even Judah. He goes, he goes all over the country. He has himself a time and just destroys everything, even though he's reigning in Judah. And then he goes back to Jerusalem after that. Wow, this guy was something else. Um, he's, you know, he was uh, definitely worth more money. And so uh, you see where he also, as you read on down through there, he brings back, uh, as uh, Hezekiah did, he brings back the... Um, the uh, Passover. In fact, it describes uh, in these chapters 30, 30, uh, 4 and 35, where it mentions Passover in 35, that it was none like it uh, since the days of uh, Moses. There was none like that. So he was, he was quite a king. He was their last good king. He was a godly man, and unfortunately he was killed in battle. Uh, at, at the end of chapter 35, he goes into battle and, and ends up getting killed in battle. But a great, great man of God. God, God used him greatly. Uh, so those are the good kings of Judah. So we spent a little time on them and why they were good kings. Even though uh, one or two of them were not as good maybe as others, God still used them. Then you get to chapter 36, and this is how it all ends. It ends as every age ends, folks, in Scripture. It ends in the word, the, the 50 cent word is apostasy. And it basically means a falling away from where you once stood. Every age, every covenant, every dispensation in Scripture 
ends in apostasy. The one we're living in right now, it's ending in apostasy, a falling away from the true and living God and the Word of God and the ways of God. And so chapter 36 uh, talks about what happened uh, as, as things wind down. And there are a couple more kings after Josiah, and they're all wicked kings. Pick up at chapter 36 and verse 11. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which had hallowed in Jerusalem. After those two or three kings, they had house cleaning, you know, but there it goes back to shambles. Verse 15, And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes, that means to go early and to go quickly and often, and sending because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. God didn't give up on his people. He loved them. And because of that, he sent prophets. He sent those to tell them and give them the message, come back to me. You've left me. Verse 16, look at this. But they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. God's patience runs out after a while, and with his people even. And they got where they just mocked God's messengers. They wouldn't listen to him at all. They despised his words. And so because of that, God said, I, I, I can't, I'm going to have to do something drastic, and they're going to end up in captivity like Israel did. Verse 17, therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age, he gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God. They break down the wall of Jerusalem, burnt all the palaces there with fire, destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof, and them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Now this is a reference to Jeremiah uh, in, his, uh, in his book. Until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. So um, God said, you, I've, over and over, I've sent prophets. You've had godly kings. They've led you right, but you're not. You're still not going to do right. And so they end up going into captivity, and that's where that's the way it ends. And at this point, Israel had already been in captivity. Now Judah is in captivity, and most of the nation of Israel, the ones who weren't killed, most of them were carried uh, from the northern kingdom to Assyria. A S S Y R I A, Assyria, not Syria, uh, and um, the southern kingdom of Judah into Babylon. So they're in captivity now at this point. So about 721 B.C., Israel is in captivity in Assyria. Um, the final chapter 36 here is about 586 B.C. But about 20 years before that, Daniel ends up with a group that's taken into captivity in Babylon. And about 606 B.C. is when Nebuchadnezzar... Um, um, Daniel stands before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar has that dream about the huge statue and the world history. And so Daniel goes into captivity with them about 20 years before that. And so that kind of gives you an idea. So 1st, 2nd Kings gives a perspective for the northern kingdom of Israel and then 1st, 2nd Chronicles of Judah, the southern kingdom. Daniel 1.1, we don't have time to turn there tonight, uh, but he and others were taken into captivity, as I mentioned there, 
in 36, verse 5 to 7 of 2 Chronicles, uh, talks about that captivity. It was under the reign of King Jehoiakim. And then the final one was at the very, very end of 36. Then you get to uh, Isaiah was a prophet uh, who was a prophet under these kings from Uzziah all the way to Manasseh. His, his um, time as prophet ended under the reign of Manasseh. And then Jeremiah was a prophet under uh, uh, the kings Josiah, Jehoahaz, down through Zedekiah, which was the last one. And Jeremiah himself goes into captivity then. Ezekiel also in chapter 1 and verse 2 uh, mentions the captivity and then some of the other minor prophets. When we get to them, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them and there's too much to, to try to cram into one night with that. Second Chronicles is the last book in the Hebrew Old Testament. So we pick up our Bible and we go through the whole Testament. Our last book is what? It starts with M. Malachi, right? That's our last book in the English, English Old Testament. But in the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, the last book of the Bible is Second Chronicles 36. And this is really significant because you look and read verse 23 and it's the final commandment to Israel, uh, to Judah, but to all of Israel at the very, very end of their last book. Remember, they don't have a New Testament. Um, whereas ours goes to Malachi, which is about the same time frame, theirs goes to Second Chronicles. So we do have for a moment, if you're still there, let's look and see what it says in Second Chronicles, the very last verse. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kings of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me. So they were the world power at this time. Then later, um, after them, um, and Babylon, then, then finally later on, it's Rome into the New Testament. Hath he charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah? So this is kind of like a preview of things to come, because next week, Lord willing, we get to Ezra and Nehemiah. We'll see that commandment where it comes to pass. Here you go. Who is there among you of all his people? He's talking to Israel. The Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Go up where? Back up to what it says, Jerusalem. So at the end of the Jewish Old Testament, at the end of their Bible, the very last commandment they have, go back to the land. Go back to the land. Many of them do in Ezra and Nehemiah. But that's going to come to its fulfillment very soon. When the Lord comes back and raptures His church, then the tribulation begins. God will again take the camera or take the focal point off of the church and it's going to go back to Israel. He'll put the spotlight on them. And now, even now, many of them are going back to the land, but they will be back in the land in unbelief during the tribulation. So that's how their Old Testament ends. That's the last commandment that they see, and it's repeated in Ezra, and Lord willing, we'll get to that next week. I need to move quick. We're over time. Uh, it was written, of course, to Israel during the divided kingdom. We see, as we have in the, in the last couple of books, man's inability to rule himself, but each king leaves a legacy, good or bad. And we saw that in the good ones tonight. Some wicked kings had godly sons. Some godly kings had wicked sons. Several times you see the temple restored. But the key to all of these good kings is they started doing things right early. Started doing things right early. There's some verses in Psalm, chapter 63, verse 1, and 27, verse 8, where the psalmist talks about, Lord, early will I seek thee. Now, we get, you know, a lot of times we think that means you have to get up early and have your devotions in the morning. And that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. It's a good thing to do that. But to seek the Lord early is not so much as the time of day. It means early as you begin to face something. Early as you begin to face a problem. And each of these kings 
that were good kings, at least the ones that started out right, were the ones who did right and they did it early. They sought the Lord. They, they looked to Him for direction. They looked to Him for guidance. Uh, Jesus in Second Chronicles is found, of course, in the good kings of Judah. Everything they did that was good um, is, reflects the life and ministry of our Savior. Here's some verses you might want to take with you on a home address here. Uh, chapter 16, verse 9, talks about how the Lord will show Himself strong in, the, in behalf of them whose ways, whose hearts are directed towards Him. Um, chapter 19, verse 2, one of the kings was asked the question, you know, will you help the ungodly? And of course, the answer to that should be no, but um, chapter 19, verse 2 talks about that. Chapter 25, verse 9, the, uh, the kings we looked at earlier, um, he was one of the good kings, and it says, the Lord will give you much more than this. And then chapter 26, verse 5, we saw in King Uzziah, it said, as, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And throughout those years of his reign, he did until he, he got prideful. But as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So the key to uh, spiritual prosperity is seeking the Lord and seeking him early. All right, we're a little over time. Let's stop there in set for Second Chronicles. Any questions or input or anything on Second Chronicles? They don't have the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. They don't have Psalms and Ecclesiastes and all the minor prophets. Uh, well, they have, see, David wrote about half the Psalms. And then, um, and then they have. I mean, that's the thing. Would they get the? Would they get God's word? And for all those years, they wouldn't. They rejected him and went into idolatry. You talking about the nation itself? No. The book you said they don't. This is the last thing that they got. This oh no, they have all those. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I, let me clear this up. When I said Second Chronicles is the last, that's the last in order. No, they have all the other Old Testament books. They got the same thirty nine we have. I need to thank you. I need to make that clear. I misunderstood. I'm sorry. I'll make that clear. Thank you for that. They have the same 39 Old Testament books. It's just their Old Testament that they have ends with 2 Chronicles as far as time-wise. Where we have Malachi. Now, they have Malachi, but later after it is 2 Chronicles, 1 2 Chronicles. That's the very last one, 2 Chronicles. In a different order, but the same books. That's a good question. Thank you. Yeah, that does clear that up. So thank you for doing it. Yeah, no, they do. They have all that. Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs. Yeah, they have all that because when they read Isaiah 53, they think that it's God talking about the nation of Israel. They don't, they don't believe it's talking about the Messiah. That's a sad thing. But yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you for bringing that out because for, for, I forgot about that. I was just, uh, I got too big of a hurry, I guess. Okay, any other questions on uh, Second Chronicles? All right, Lord willing, we'll slow down some. Next week we can go into the book of Ezra. It's a lot shorter. It's 10 chapters, and, uh, but there's a lot of interesting things in Ezra. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's stand and close in prayer, and we'll dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for what we've seen in Second Chronicles and how we look at and think about these kings that were godly kings that served you and loved you. Uh, some of them had much longer reigns than the others, and some of them did not end well. But nevertheless, you used them during their lives. And we're grateful, Lord, for the example that we have written down for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll help us as believers to learn. Uh, as you tell us in your word that all Scripture is given for doctrine, proof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. And help us to apply your word in our life daily as we go, Lord. And learn from those uh, from the Old Testament and, and apply lessons to our lives. Thank you so much for your love and mercy. And I pray that you'll keep us safe as we leave here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.